Hey there, welcome back to the Translators Minicast brought to you by Risk Pro. So this is episode two, where Julie Mochin, that's me, talks to Jason Lujan, who is general counsel and chief compliance officer for the Pacific Financial Group. Today, I just quickly um, asked Jason about the prohibited transaction exemption 2020-02 that is swirling around out there from the DOL. And just real quick, if we reference uh, the term boomer, and I don't want to offend anyone, I accidentally cut it off in the beginning. We were talking about our kids calling us boomers, sort of making fun of us for certain things. I personally am a Gen Xer, and I think Jason is too. But when your kid calls you a boomer, or if you are a boomer, we stand with you in solidarity. All right, here we go. I thought we should either talk about PTE, just get your take on it right now before December rolls around. Like a short, if you should be thinking about it and why you should be thinking about it. It's really, as far as the industry goes, everything always gets lumped into one bucket. Oh, here's PTE 2020-02. Okay, well, who's it applicable to? So now we know it's under DOL, right? So who are our three primary you know, tracks? We've got the Advisors Act, right? We've got commission um, products under you know, FINRA broker, brokerage. And then you've got your retirement stuff, which is going to be under DOL, IRS and all that stuff. Wait, Jason, you assume that's a basic thing for you. It's not necessarily a basic understanding for everyone in the industry. And some people should be concerned about it and maybe don't know where they fit in. Just- yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But so what I was saying is that but the regulations assume that people know that. So when the DOL comes out with an FAQ and then all of these consultants and lawyers get out there and say, here's what you have to do. What I find that they don't really do is say, okay, if you're on the advisory side, then if you look at what the requirements are of PTE 2020-02, nobody just compares them and says, really, what's the fundamental difference of activity, your obligations are, between satisfying uh, 2020-02 or just your standard fiduciary obligations under the Advisors Act? There's none, right? Okay, but so now, and this is just where it's this, it's almost like they're designing confusion one, to trip people up, and two, it really helps promote consultants and lawyers to come in, and then these people can charge additional fees to the brokerage firms and the likes. Because in the end of the day, under the Advisors Act, you're a fiduciary period at the end, right? If you're giving advice to a plan under ERISA, under 321, is the one of advice. So the point that yeah. I'm getting is I think it's important to say, okay, what bucket do you fit in, and then how do you comply? So I think that this PTE 2020 is really just reinforcing the best interest standard of Reg BI on the brokerage side, saying, hey, brokers, commission folks, you're going to be held to a higher standard. And again, a fiduciary obligation. Assume it already, right? Because if you try and navigate around it, you're going to trip up. You're going to fall. A regulator, plaintiff's counsel, someone's going to find something that you might have done a little bit wrong. Whereas if you have that fiduciary obligation, you assume it and you adhere to it, then you're good across the board. And again, as we've always said, why wouldn't you put your client's best interest first? And so when I look at these things, I just scratch my head and say, we already have those obligations, but I can also see on the brokerage side where some folks might be a little bit more resistance. 
I think, uh, yeah, I think there's still business out there, even though I just, you and I probably are used to seeing a fee-based type advisory mostly in front of us and don't mm-hmm. realize like the old transactional people that are still out there. I, I don't want to call them old trans Boomers. <laughs> Hey, boomers, like it's not that complicated, but, and the media spins all of these regulations and really it all comes down to the same as we spoke in the last podcast, common sense, do what's in your client's best interest. Think about your client. You also need to make a living. You need to get paid for you're worth it. If you're a good advisor, think about your clients. Easy. Thank you for clearing that up because I'm hearing all of this spin up about it recently. I thought, okay, is there something I need to know beyond that? I think the industry is doing the right thing by saying, hey, be aware of this. So I don't want to negate or um, belittle the importance of it because it definitely is important. But I think that the industry doesn't do a good enough job generally, really just making clear the obligations of the parties and what those fiduciary standards can really mean when you join the IA side. And especially as you get this mass migration of uh, people dropping their FINRA licenses just to go pure IA, and some of these folks have been in business for 30, 40 years, it's really hard for them to change behavior. And a lot of times they plan poorly, so they don't convert their book appropriately. But the business was not geared that way. So to get to, credit to them, though, this came upon them and they maybe should have started to transition, like you said, but they didn't because they were probably human behavior. Uh, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. Or they just think, OK, great. I can just form my own RIA or just register up with with another independent RIA and drop my FINRA licenses and I'm good to go. But then they don't understand really the nuanced differences. If you've ever gone through the FINRA registration process or the RIA registration process, the night and day. But I think coming back to the DOL component of it, really what these changes are focused on are those commission folks that are still on the non-fee side and how they need to behave. And I think those are the people who really need to take notice of the elements of the 2020-02 and really understand that. So it really just harmonizes the best interest reg BI. Yeah. Hey, by the way, we can get into on another podcast because I'm, I want to go through the four obligations of reg bi with you you know what i mean sure we'll start with the first one or we'll go backwards whatever you want to do it's good that they're starting to use some of the same language whether it's best interest prudence but really at the end of the day if you just look back historically all of this rests in in agency law what your fiduciary obligations are and how you're going to be deemed to be adhering to that of course when the dol or finra or the sec makes a specific set of standards you have to meet okay when that's defined but you still have the the bulk of agency law that you can look to fines and fees you know there's actually a, a pretty good and it's been a while since i looked through it but um the villain of the law review has a Fiduciary obligations of broker dealers and investment advisors. Yeah, I'll put it probably, in the show notes if you send me the link. I will have. I actually, again, I'm a boomer, so I actually got a print copy of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm old, so I actually like to mark some things up. So this was, I think, twenty. It's, you know, so it's eleven years old now, but it all, it does a good job of talking about the fundamentals of the fiduciary standard. Yeah. And it, it parses out the historical obligations between broker dealers and RIAs. And I, I can't find the link. I'll, I'll send it to you. I um, did find that uh, Villanova is playing Penn State on the 25th, and I'm here in State College. So we're going to kick some ass. <laughs> and their law review. <laughs> no, we will put that in the show notes. 
the length. Yeah, I think, and the reason why I mentioned that is because it's one of those things, it's a sleeper, as, but it really breaks down the different elements and the different components between the, the two tracks. And I think the type of information that brokers should be armed with, as just part of their education. But then these regulations come out and people go, okay, here, here's what you have to do to satisfy this regulation. But then the regulations stack up, but the regulations can't cover every type of behavior, every activity. And which is why on the advisor side, you've got, it's a principles-based construct versus FINRA, which is more rules-based. The principles-based just allows you to use your moral compass. And if you have just an understanding of the principles of what it means to act prudently, what it means to you know, put your client's best interest first, what a material omission or misstatement is, those types of things, then you're able to actually, I think, sleep better at night because you'll know that what you did is right as opposed to just trying to cram an activity into a form and hope for the best without knowing how that might translate or manifest itself in, say, six months or six years. You absolutely have to have some type of abstract thinking, more philosophical or psychological thinking when it comes to the relationship that an advisor has with their client. There's a lot that goes into it. And I think institutions for a while thought they could just push product and make everybody sell something and and never took into account the psychological, the act of investing, the psychological effect that it has on someone's behavior. Right. And it's because of the smile and dial, right? The, you know, the boiler rooms. Oh yeah. For a long time. People got, people got sold a lot of garbage and the standards that we have now are in response to that because I don't often agree with regulatory changes, but I just, I'm, I'm always flabbergasted as to how I'll say a broker, if you will, why they even question or get pushed back on putting their client's interest first. Like why? I, 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 no one's ever been able to give me an answer as to why that's a bad thing. But yet there's, there's still all this opposition. I don't know. Who knows oh, no. Going. Like, I, I got you because it's a top down thing. Right. So if it's top down, you put the product first. And that's slowly what I was saying back to our original point that's been slowly changing for 20 years. But there's a few like outliers that are I shouldn't say they're not getting it. They just haven't. Hey, if you're going to be doing everything in your client's best interest, it's just way easier to do it this way. Advisory. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you go next, possibly next time we talk. Let's maybe start to break down just for fun. Mm-hmm. the four obligations of best interest and how they, and I'm not assuming just advisory type people are using risk pro because it works for both transactional and advisory works everywhere. So well, yeah, I, we can I, pipe I the data in. Tool, I think that's where tools like risk pro can really help us bridging that um, knowledge gap, that regulation knowledge gap and it helping them adhere to documenting. So yeah, we can talk about that. All right. Let me see if I can stop this recording. One moment, please. This recording has been prepared and made available by RiskPro to be used for information purposes only. RiskPro is an investment risk profiling and portfolio construction software as a service platform developed by ProTools LLC. The information contained herein, including any expression of opinion, has been obtained from or is based on sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy or completeness is not guaranteed and is subject to change without notice. Any expressions of opinions reflect the views of the speakers and are not necessarily those of Pro Tools LLC or its affiliates. 
Pro Tools does not provide investment tax or legal advice. Investors should consult their financial, tax, or legal professionals before investing.